1: Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents. This Saturday, the fourth approximately of December. Fourth of December, yes. <laughs> You're listening to Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hannah.
2: I'm James Barry.
1: And I'm Jody Peskett. That's right, listeners. We have a new host joining us on the program. Um Jody's gonna be joining us for the rest of 2021 and then for all of next year, and hopefully forever, Jody. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's a big commitment yeah, it <laughs> so.
1: certainly is I I like to go very yeah, yeah. big well welcome Jody. Um, it's wonderful to have you here and of course listeners you know that Pierre is retiring from Asia Pacific Currents at the end of this year we have something big planned for him on the 18th of December so stay tuned to next week's show for the details of that but uh, we're asking you inviting you to keep uh, December the 18th after 9 free I've got to check his schedule first guys so uh, so just, uh, just pencil that one in for now. But Jodie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself so our listeners can get to know you a bit.
3: Uh, yep. Yeah. So I um, uh, am a local reservoir- Reservorian um, and I have worked and been involved in the women's movement and the union movement for 10 to 15 years now. And um, I am an active member of AWL. And excited
1: to be here. Excellent. Thank you so much. That does remind me, Asia Pacific Currencies brought to you by Australia, Asia Worker Links. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's.awl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter. So look us up on those social media platforms. I will just quickly back announce that show. And a big thank you to Annie McLaughlin for yet another wonderful Solidarity Breakfast That show that uh, she ended with was West Papua, Merdeka Mix. Merdeka, of course, means freedom. Uh, And that was – the performer was George Tellick. And very um, good (laughs) – I guess that she ends with that show because actually the feature story for this morning is Ronnie Karenni who is a West Papua activist and we are talking about the 60-year anniversary of the raising of the Morning Star flag, the independence flag of West Papua. So we'll be talking about the West Papua um, struggle for liberation and that is in the second part of the show. Three minutes past nine o'clock, we're going to get straight into news from around the region.
2: Starting in Indonesia where unions are celebrating a rule on the omnibus law, and t- today we have an update on the struggle against anti-worker, the anti-worker omnibus law in Indonesia, which we have been reporting on for the past 12 months. This week, the Indonesian Trade Union Confederation, known by the Indonesian acronym KSPI, celebrated a ruling in the Constitutional Court uh, that the constitu- that the controversial omnibus law for job creation was conditionally unconstitutional. Protests against the Omnibus Law began long before its implementation in October 2020 and centre on its provisions which, allow, which would allow employers to cut wages, remove protections such as sick leave and undermine job security. In their fight against the law, the KSPI has been joined by various environmental organisations which were concerned that the law would accelerate deforestation and cause similar environmental damage in Indonesia, all in the name of economic development.
1: That is such a victory for the Indonesian workers and as you said, Pierre, we have been following that story for over a year now Um, and those workers faced extraordinary repression and lies um, from the Jakawi government about um, what was happening with that. So such a victory for those workers. We're going to move now to the Philippines. We're not so lucky on that front but in early November, Persons claiming to be members of the Quezon City Police Department went to the National Office of Centro. Centro is one of many union federations and they're based in Manila. So these people, claiming to be coppers, went to the Centro office to unlawfully investigate a labour dispute involving its affiliate, the Federation and Cooperation of Cola, Beverage and Allied Industry Unions. Basically, Coca-Cola sent in some goons dressed up as police. The union is engaged in a labour dispute at Coca-Cola Philippines over deadlocked wage bargaining and a national campaign for reinstatement of unfairly terminated union leaders. We know that Coca-Cola is a notoriously anti-union company. Without relevant legal documents officially identifying and authorising them and stating the purpose of their visit, these goons repeatedly ask for information regarding Centro's office, the other unions present in that office and their activities. Further adding to their suspicious behaviour, the alleged police personnel also went to the premises of the Trade Union Confederation of the Philippines, so another Labor Union Confederation, and their compound is based in Quezon City. They inquired about the Nakai Sai Labor Coalition, of which Centro is a part, so that's a, a party list in the Philippines. These acts have no other effect but to harass trade unionists. This police harassment occurs in the context of ongoing intimidation and fear involving red tagging, which we've reported on a lot here on Asia Pacific Currents.
3: All right, now we're in South Korea, where our comrades at the KPTU held industrial action to pressure the government to extend the safety rate system, which is due to be phased out in 2022. The safety rate system provides owner-operator transport workers with a minimum rate of pay and other working conditions, which allow the workers to operate safely on the roads. Over a period of three days, workers converged on ports, distribution centres and other locations to block transport, reduce freight traffic in South, uh, reducing sorry, freight traffic in South Korea by 20%. The KPTU's action is in the lead-up to South Korea's presidential election, which is due in March 2022, in which none of the candidates have shown a willingness to extend the safety rate system or advocate for workers' rights more broadly. The strike has occurred in the context of widespread industrial action in the country over the past few months, which have been which have been in response to a restriction on union rights and freedom of association, supposedly in the name of pandemic response.
1: And uh, as we get closer to that presidential election in South Korea, no doubt there'll be a lot of industrial disputation. And we'll do our best to speak with the KPTU, our comrade Walsan, who is based there, um, just to find out exactly what's happening in the public service.
2: Uh, To Afghanistan now, where the Taliban's new directives will further muzzle press freedom. The Taliban has announced eight religious guidelines which restrict the broadcasting, b- restric- broadcasting of media that contravenes Islamic values, with several edicts exclusively targeting women journalists and media workers. The International Federation of Journalists, or IFJ, condemns the Taliban's new media restrictions and calls for a restoration of press freedom and women's rights in Afghanistan. The restrictions were announced on the 21st of November by the Taliban's Ministry of the Promotion of Virtue and Prevention of Vice. According to the Taliban spokesperson, Hakife Mohajir, the religious guidelines prohibit the screening of films or television programs which are against Islamic or Afghan values. The rules called on broadcasters to cease airing soap operas or dramas that feature women. All women journalists will be required to observe hijab while at work. An unclear edict, subject to interpretation by the Taliban. And just to give listeners an idea, in Persian-speaking countries like Afghanistan and Iran, hijab doesn't refer just to the head covering. It refers to the covering of. Uh, it can be the covering of the face as well, but it's a vague term that can that is yet yeah, uh, open to interpretation. As well as restrictions on women, the guidelines also prohibit any media that shows the imagery of the Prophet Muhammad or revered persons, comedic programs that humiliate people, and any films that contravene Afghan law. The recent measures follow 11 media regulations announced on September 19, which can be arbitrarily interpreted to censor broadcast content and restrict press freedom. The restrictions come despite the Taliban's pledge that freedom of press and women's rights would be upheld under the new regime.
1: And our next story is also um, a campaign for journalistic freedom and, again, the International Federation of Journalists, the IFJ, are involved in this one. I will just say before I go into this story, which comes from Sri Lanka, that um, the IFJ have been very busy at the moment because there are quite a number of countries, not just in our region but all right across the world, uh, that are very, very severely repressing free media at the moment but going to Sri Lanka where a Tamil journalist was attacked by soldiers for reporting on a Tamil memorial event. So the journalist is Vishwalingam Vish, Vishwachandra. He was brutally attacked by a group of Sri Lankan soldiers in Malai tivu district on the 28th of November. The IFJ and its Sri Lankan affiliates, the Sri Lanka Working Journalists Association and the Federation of Media, Employees and Trade Unions, condemned the attack and urged the Sri Lankan military to immediately cease their efforts to stifle critical reportage. Vishwalingam Chandra was attacked by members of the Sri Lankan army while covering a Tamil tribute in Malay-Tivu, which, was, which is a former battle zone. Um, and the memorial event was to honour those who died during the country's decades-long civil war. Three Sri Lankan soldiers were arrested in connection with the incident. According to the two unions, soldiers attacked Vishwachandra with a palm stick wrapped with barbed wire as he captured footage of the violence levelled against mourners at the commemoration ceremony. The Sri Lankan military also seized his mobile phone and camera before damaging his motorcycle. Vishwachandra sustained injuries to his stomach Arms and legs in the attack. He was admitted to hospital and is currently undergoing treatment. Sri Lankan security forces drove away grieving crowds as they attempted to light lamps in memory of their loved ones. The coastal district bears thousands of unmarked graves where Tamil civilians were killed at the end of the Sri Lankan Civil War. The Tamil Tigers... Uh, have long commemorated November 27 as Heroes Day to honour its members. However, the Rajapaksa government banned the day's observation after he came to power in 2019.
3: And finally, today we're in Jordan. Where, so, earlier in the year, we brought you the story of the dissolution of the Jordanian Teachers Association by the Jordanian government. The JTA was dissolved on December 31st, 2020, by the Amman Magistrates Court. On September 29, 2021, the Attorney-General rejected the appeal filed by the GTA against the union dissolution and one-year imprisonment for all 14 JTA board members. The Jordanian Government has been using emergency laws enacted during the pandemic to to judicially harass union members, teachers and education workers. Employment regulations for civil servants have also been diluted to make it easier to terminate their employment. At least 65 teachers have been forced to retire early. Education International is running a campaign in defence of these Jordanian teachers and their right to freely associate. And now the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario has put out a statement in their defence and stand in
1: solidarity with the GTA. I have to say, teachers... um International solidarity by teachers' unions are some of the best solidarity activities I've seen. And I remember during the um, East Timor struggle for liberation, uh, one of the things that the Australian Education Union did was set up a sister... Um, partnership and uh, sponsored students from, uh, so students in Australia, sponsored students in East Timor to build financial resources and solidarity for that campaign. So I'm really pleased to see that uh, the world's teachers are standing with these Jordanian teachers um, for their right to freely associate. It's 13 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents. We're going to go do some community announcements and then our feature story for the morning with Ronnie Karenni. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science, and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. GECKO acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunna and Bidwell and the Nara people and that sovereignty was never ceded. 3CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming you know after us at the moment, they want to get rid of penalty rates, the, the big push from businesses. Sounds... They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for.
2: So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out, to sham contracting arrangements.
1: On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. It is 15 minutes past 9 o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR... This is Asia Pacific Currents. We're joined now by Ronnie Kareni, stalwart West Papuan activist, joining us this morning. Good morning, Ronnie, and welcome.
0: Good morning, Giselle, and thank you for the invite. (laughs)
1: Very, very lovely to have you here. Now, the 1st of December this year commemorates 60 years of the first raising of the Morning Star flag, signifying the independence, well, from the Netherlands of West Papua. Um, tell us a little bit about um, the struggle for West Papuan independence.
0: Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, this year is a very significant year um, for the people and the land of West Papua. And especially with the Morning Star flag, um, symbol of independence. And on this day, 60 years ago, the Netherlands government recognised uh, the New Guinea uh, Council. It was a parliament that they recognised, and so preparations were underway um, in just after the Second World War in 1950. Uh, just 49 after Indonesia uh, proclamation of independence was recognized and full independence was obtained, the Netherlands did not uh, transfer West Papua, and so this is one of the very significant um, historical uh, uh, piece that why West Papua till today we continue to fight for our right to self determination. So the Dutch. Um, uh, basically um, registered uh, West Papua with the United Nations as a non-self-governing territory in December 1950. So that was under the UNGA Resolution 448. And so the task for the West Papua New Guinea Council, at the time it was called, or the Parliament, um, to make the wishes of the people known on the issue of self-determination. Then, as, as um state progresses um, into 1960 10 years uh, preparations were already underway um, health education programs training of um, infantry um, and so with Papua was well underway with uh, the that roadmap to obtain its full independence um, and in 61 that's when the, there was already fear the us already had its um, own geopolitical interests, economic interests, and started, and at the same time, the Indonesia is trying to expand its uh, territory into the eastern region, which, which was Papua and also Timor-Leste at the time. And so the only means is to use military aggression. And all the diplomatic efforts were failed um, between that period of 1950 to 1960. Even Indonesia did pull out from the UN membership at one point. And that is where the massacre of millions of people, uh, which uh, the propaganda of um, anti socialist uh, movement in, in, across Indonesia and as well as into West Papua and with that domino theory of um, spread of communism um, into, even into Australia and right across in the region. So that was when... Um, was Papua and Timor-Leste that I'm fallen to this uh, geopolitical foul play.
1: Well, the, both the struggle for independence against Indonesia and the repression by Indonesia continues to this day, uh, and even something like the raising of the morning star flag causes severe repression from Indonesia. We know that there were arrests. Um, eight students who flew the flag um, in the region uh, in the last two days have been arrested. Um, what can you tell us about the 1st of December in Indonesia and West Papua and the use of the um, Indonesia military against those activists?
0: Yes. Yeah, well, especially like my heart goes out to our eight Papuan youth, um, who bravely, brave bravely um came out in the town of Jayapura. Um when the state everyone least expects they use the uh, the front of the uh public building and a flagpole and raised the morning star flag and commemorate that and that is uh, A staunch move, and it was captured, and it went viral. And the the implication of that is that they yeah now being now being um, well they've been arrested, detained, and charged with treason. And of course, um, the pay for that is they're going to spend quite quite significant number of years behind bars just for raising that Morningstar flag, and and throughout West Papua as well, as December one um, um, is the day when everyone like New Seven been coming out from the Central Highlands. But in the last couple of days, um, footage and photos have emerged that massive, massive numbers of um, people have gathered and commemorate the Morning Star flag in in Tanjaya, and this is one of the hot spots where the military operation currently underway. Um, thousands of internally displaced people, people, um, Papuan refugees, um, on, on the ground in those uh, regencies, and yet people still come out and commemorate that and, yes, yeah, salute to the Papuan people. Even right across to the Soro near the bedside where early September there was a massive operation after a fatal attack of the four Indonesian officials. Um, there was a, 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 a an attack on the local... Uh, Logging company. Um, when the Morning Star play racing was happening, so there's more development story to that. Um, in Indonesia, right across, um, many in West Papua held um, gatherings in church hall, in uh, in in houses, and and celebrate the 60 years, play music and sing and dance together. Um, this year, yeah, we didn't see a lot coming out of the streets and. The reason, as well, is that um, in in lead up to September, October, especially with the increased mili- mili- military deployment, um, the state, gov- like the government, have used the deployment as a pretext to 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 the December one event. And so, um, people already aware of this uh, crackdown that the government will do. So, uh, being strategic not to. Uh, Really come out and risk um, anything, um, but we see across um, the island of um, Java and especially Surabaya, um, even Aceh, uh, as far as um, other like student stronghold, the Front racket Indonesia for West Papua are joined with the with collaboration with the um, student alliance, National Alliance Movement of Papuan Students in. Um, Surabaya, Jogja, Jakarta, came out in hundreds and hundreds, and um, really commemorating that. And there's been photos emerging from that, so it's amazing to see. Like the bottom line, way I see is that uh, even in Australia, right across Australia, uh, it was a well-coordinated and organized um, event from Nam Melbourne to Nanawal um, Country here in Canberra, right across to Mening. Um, up all the way to um, Sydney um, and Darwin, Perth, Adelaide, major cities. Uh, we coordinate um, this celebration as well. And what I see, the youth uh propelling and taking leadership, like propelling the movement, organizing, and even taking leadership in the in this um, this self-determination struggle and in solidarity as well with the people of West Papua. So that gives me strength and hope as well that um, to see that there is the the young people taking leadership and propelling the movement.
2: Hi, Ronnie. It's James here. Uh, that, I, I agree that is excellent, especially hearing the solidarity you know, across Indonesia for West Papua. I, I just wanted to ask you about the uh, the, log, the issue of logging. So the West Papua Liberation Army says it's torched a base camp for logging in Maybrat Regency, which is a region, a region uh, in the northwest of the country, which is uh, heavily forested. Um, could you talk a little bit about uh, what the issue is, wh- why the West Papuan liberation movement uh, specifically, has a has an issue with logging and has been targeting it.
0: So, in in that particular area, uh, western tip of the island of New Guinea, uh, my mybrat outside and the Sorong Regency area, um, the the palm oil company um, plays a big role in really, uh, uh, deforest like yeah, like this illegal logging, but also uh, the Central government giving a concession or permits to logging companies who also have given permits for going ahead with um, the palm oil um, companies. And in July, August of this year, the local authorities um, from the, uh, the, the the tribal council, Papon Tribal Council, to the local head of the regency or head of district. Um, town mayor as well in Sorong have already re- rejected very strongly not for this um, permit to go ahead with the palm oil company, and it was taken like this became a very big issue. Um, there was a lot of petitions, and we see across Indonesia the a lot of uh, uh, the environmental. Uh, land rights groups came on board to support the local uh, head of district and the local indigenous pub wants to stop this company from going ahead. And it, it was, it, that method was taken to the court um, and the company's appeals to go ahead. And so that already brought the tension um, early this, this year. But then uh, the pretext that the the government used for the PAMAL to go ahead is to create some instability, and so there was that an attack that was happening in September, which that pretty much sets so the legitimacy for military to come in, and there was some missiles was uh, brought into Sorong and down to Mybrat, which made little in the news at the time, uh, but it was shared amongst the Papuans, and so. The tension started growing and building up until with September until October. There wasn't any movement. Even local people cannot even travel from the village just to the town. And with the increasing deployment, that means that around over 32 districts, five main regency areas, which makes up the um, villages as well and promised Estimation from the civil society coalition, well over 5,000 people already internally displaced. They have deserted the villages. So the only way that people can really express that anger and frustration is none other than this um, company. So um, with December 1 um, coming up, and so that's one way of that expression of um, that um, anger and frustration at the state level and so we see that um, the what just there and uh, uh, happened on the 1st of december um, at that local uh, logging company site
1: well, Ronnie, uh, the, the situation, the struggle is obviously um, at a particularly intense moment at the moment because we've been seeing um, increasing student mobilisations and very, very fierce repression from Indonesia. So we really do call on uh, activists to support the West Papuan struggle for independence. But uh, Ronnie, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us this morning.
0: And thank you as well for the opportunity to speak with you guys.
1: That was Ronnie Kareni, a stalwart West Papuan activist, speaking here on Community Radio 3CR about the 60-year anniversary of the raising of the Morning Star. I'm going to quickly go to an announcement and then we'll come back to end the show. 3CR Community Radio. 8.55am. Well, that is the end of another Asia-Pacific Currents for another Saturday morning. Three go, three shows, no, two shows to go for the end of the year. But thank you, listeners, for joining us. Stay tuned to 3CR for the rest of the weekend. And, of course, coming up next is Palestine Remembered. But that's all for me, Giselle Hanna.
2: Me, James Barry.
1: And me, Jodie Peskett.